1: Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs,
0: raising kidpreneurs.
1: It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. (laughs) And now we'd like to introduce your host.
0: She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Meg Brunson. Brunson. Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my Facebook Business Page Checklist. Whether you're brand new to Facebook or a veteran, it's important to ensure that you are leveraging your Facebook Business Page optimally. More and more people are finding your business on Facebook, and you want to ensure that you're making the best first impression. Head over to megbrunson.com slash Facebook page and download the free Facebook Business Page Checklist that will allow you to optimize your Facebook business presence in just a few minutes. Now let's introduce today's guest. She's an entrepreneur, community leader, speaker, professional networker, internet TV show co-host, mentor, and most importantly, a mom. She believes in the importance of having a strategy when engaging in face-to-face networking and in the power of building and maintaining strategic relationships. She's the CEO and founder of the second largest networking group in Phoenix, NetworkingPhoenix.com. I'm excited to introduce Gelly Ackenblatt. Hi, Gelly. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Oh, I'm super excited too. I've spent a lot of time over the past couple days reading some of your past blog posts and watching your TED talk. And there are probably a hundred different ways this interview could go. So I can't wait to get the conversation started and see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, no. Thank, thank you. I oh, know when you said you read that, I was like, oh goodness, like, you know, because some people read like one or two, but if you actually take the time to read all of it, and I feel like I'm like, oh, she, like, we're connected, you know, we're connected. But I'm like, but I, but I haven't read about you yet, so but we talked a little bit.
0: Yeah, we talked briefly, and I think that was it. Reading them, I just wanted to know, I know where you are now. So to jump back, I, what was it? Four years, two and a half, three, two three and a half years okay. ago. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Not good at math. So to jump back three years and see what you were going through then, like I kept wanting to know what happens next to get you where you are today. And that's what I'm hoping we can kind of share a little bit of with our listeners. Because I feel like people always find themselves in these situations where they feel like they're drowning. You know, you're totally in the wrong place. Everything is going wrong. What the heck are we doing? We should just stop and go back to what's comfortable. And I feel like you could have done that a 100 times and you didn't.
1: Not yeah, not because I didn't try. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. I mean, but yeah, I don't even know what comfortable is at this point. You know, like what is my comfortable? So we can talk about that too.
0: Awesome. Well, I'd love to start if if you would start by sharing some of your story. I know you came to the states as a political refugee. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that and how your journey to freedom evolved?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, born in the former Soviet Union, a place called Moldova, and in 1989, my family um, immigrated. Um, So I was about eight years old, and we—they had tried to leave the Soviet Union prior a few times, and they were denied. And finally, in the third try, the the you know the Soviet Union government or whatever entity you know decides um, they let us go, and we had an Israeli visa, so we were supposed to leave. You know, Russia, and go to Israel, Um, and the way Israel works is they um, accept Jewish people um, immediately. It just doesn't matter where you're from. We had our entire family was there, right? I have this big giant family, and unfortunately, I don't get to know them because you know they live in Israel. So. That's where we're headed. Um, once we actually left the Soviet Union, so um, there's a, a program that guides Jewish refugees called HIAS. H I A S. I'm not sure if it's how you pronounce it, HIAS or HIAS. So it's, I believe it's a nonprofit organization, and they guided us through the journey. So the first place that we went to was in Austria. And um, you know, keep in mind, you know, you do not language You don't really like we we didn't know like we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know where we were going to stay. Like we didn't know anything. You know, so it was me, my mom, my dad my my maternal grandparents, my uncle, he was 21 at the time. And my mom didn't know this, but she was pregnant. Okay. She didn't know this at the time. Yeah. She was 27. Wow. If you can imagine, I, I can't even like put, I'm like, you know, I think about what am like, what it must've been like at 27, having one kid being pregnant with another and like, you know, traveling to this whole other foreign country. But anyway, so we get to Austria were there for a little while. And um, you know, you don't always get to go through. Just because you want to go through doesn't mean that you do. So we wanted, f- for whatever reason, my family decided they wanted to come to the United States instead of going to Israel. I think if it were up to me, I would have probably picked Israel because uh, I'm a little uh, Zionistic like that. But um, they wanted to go to um, the US. So what happens if you want to do that is you have to apply and prove that you're a refugee and have the US government let you come into into you know the United States. So we did that and a lot of people get denied and if you get denied then you get you get stuck there. you literally like there, there are hunger strikes or refugees. I mean they live on the streets, there's nowhere to go. Uh, for whatever lucky reason, um, they allowed my entire family to go through. And so the next place we went to was Italy. So once we landed in Italy, um, and when we were in Austria, we were in some like communal hotel type of a thing. When we went to Italy, um, people, what people would do there is they would um, donate their beach homes to refugees like us. So it was horrible. We lived in a beach house in Italy. <laughs> I mean, it was just atrocious, you know. <laughs> Food trucks would come by every morning with delicious produce. Um, but I mean, it was stressful. Obviously, <laughs> we're immigrating. I mean, it's not where we're living. But it was very nice. If you can imagine just waking up every morning and running to the beach. I mean, it was uh, it was me as an eight year old, it was amazing. So, um, same thing happened in in, there. Um, you know, we didn't know how long we were going to be there, but as you know, luck of the draw, they pulled, they pulled our names out. And um, we, they said, you're going to Arizona, but we'd never heard of Arizona. They asked us, they said, where do you want to go? And we didn't have any family in the United States. And literally somebody told us San Diego was nice. So we're like, well, let's ask for San Diego. And I, they were like, they asked for San Diego. Okay, let's get them as close as we can. We'll get them to Phoenix. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have no idea what that thought <laughs> process was like, but they sent us to Phoenix, and unbeknownst to us, what happened at that time in Phoenix is that the Jewish community here had opened up a fund to sponsor fifty Russian Jewish um, refugees, and we happened to be the very first six to go through that program. So we landed in New York, and this lady comes up to my mom, like we're going through the lines, you know, when like you know you get off the plane, and this lady comes up to my mom, and she's like, "I'm looking for the Ackemblut family, right?" We don't, no one speaks any English, none of us, but my mom is like who in America, who in America in New York is looking for us, you know, but she tells them, she's like, that's us, you know, and it uh, turns out it was the Arizona Republic. They flew out their media crew out there to greet us, uh, because it was such a big deal, you know, for the state that they wanted to document our journey for the entire year. And so if you're you know, you're referring to my Ted talk, that was when they were documenting our journey for that year. That's what they titled the journey to freedom you know, and, and so that's where the name of my TED talk came from. And, you know, if you follow the, if you actually end up watching the entire TED talk, I talk about how that was kind of, that was the beginning of me and the concept of, you know, like you don't stop until you get that freedom, you know, whether it's personal freedom or, you know, we're all chasing a different kind of freedom. So my family, um, launched me on that journey. And then ever since I've been, um, you know, still journeying for whatever freedoms I may desire in whatever phase of life. But we go from New York to, you know, to Phoenix, now accompanied by the media crew. We get up the plane, we walk off the plane, there's huge media frenzies there. I mean, balloons, flowers, teddy bears, news cameras, photographers, it was it was unreal, right? You don't, most refugees don't get this kind of welcome to the United States. But that was just our story, you know, and I think ever since I've always had this, um, sense of community and, uh, just, uh, maybe I was born with them. I, I have no idea, you know, I mean, I, I really can't place it, but I do know that the community opened up their arms to us. And, um, that was really, I mean, truly the beginning and launching
0: pad of so many things to come in my life. Wow. That's such an incredible story. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> People should totally listen to the Ted talk though. You've got some other great gems in there as well. Now, your parents kind of expected you to follow a corporate path. You know, chasing the American dream for them was having that stability of a corporate job. And that's kind of where you started out with your career. What triggered you to leave the corporate world and launch a tech startup?
1: Right. Well, you know, uh, stability for my parents uh, and their generation with their background would have been for me to become a doctor or a lawyer and then to marry a doctor or a lawyer, you know, with, with the Russian Jewish background. Um, I did neither. you know, and so, but I did go to school for communications and, um, like you said, I pursued this corporate uh, what would happy you know, let, let's sta- step back a little bit, you know, before, um, I started, I've been working since I was 14. And when I say working, you know, I'd find like little odd and end kind of jobs. Basically I've been hustling since I was 14, you know? And before hustling became a, a term and a phrase, like that's what I was doing, you know, before entrepreneurship became the hot phrase, that's what I was doing. So I was doing all of these things. I just didn't have these like kitschy words to put on it. I was very entrepreneurial from the get-go. Again, had no idea. So I, you know, when I was at ASU, we didn't, they didn't have this amazing entrepreneurial program. So I majored in something that I truly enjoyed, which was communications. And I do. I love communications. I mean, I will talk, 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 you know, right, right, right. I mean, that's just, that's my thing. So I majored in communications, um, you know, two jobs at a college, uh, both lasted two years and three months. And I was like, wow, there's a trend here. You know, something isn't clicking. By my second job when I was working in corporate America, which by the way, I highly despised from day one, I walked in and just the energy of the place was like, Ugh. you know, like I was like, I can't, can't breathe. It felt to me like a toxic wasteland. I mean, it was just not where I needed to be, but I didn't know, you know, it was like my body knew, but I, my mind didn't yet. I wasn't, I wasn't evolved enough yet. So I lasted there two years and three months, but you know, towards not even the end of it, but somewhere in the middle, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm miserable. So what do I do now? And so I um, started networking to discover other opportunities, not other jobs, but other opportunities. And. I remembered meeting a pet sitter and I'm thinking she was a pet sitter and a plant sitter. And I'm like, you make money by watching other people's pets and plants. Now, mind you, that's a huge business. All right. I I just didn't know. Like, so I'm kind of like talking about that. I didn't know that I didn't know that I didn't know. I didn't know anything. That's just why I was discovering. And that's what I tell people. Networking events are amazing to just do research because you don't know what you don't know. And if you're always around the same type of people, then that's all you ever really know you know, you walk out into general public, like a networking event, you know, you have 10 conversations with 10 different people, like your mind's going to be blown by the end of the night. So I, um, basically said to myself, if this lady can figure out how to be a pet sitter and make money, I can figure out how to network and make money. Because I, I realized that I was just in love with networking. I mean, you put me in a room full of strangers and my endorphins are off the charts. It's like falling in love. Like, literally, I'm just like, oh, like, this is amazing. Like, I'm like vibrating with energy. Like, I just want to talk to everyone. I want to get their story. I mean, it's just come so naturally to me. And I thought everybody was like me, right? Come to find out that's not the case. So I'm like, okay, well, there's got to be some need in the market here. Um, I, again, I didn't know the words need in the market, right? This is me with my 12 years of experience uh, giving you these phrases. But I was like, there's got to be some way for me to make money here hustling, you know, I'm like trying to figure out how to hustle. So at the time I was, um, married to a software engineer and I came home one evening and I said to him, um, I asked him if he would build me a calendar so I could list all the different networking events on the calendar, because this is pre Facebook, pre LinkedIn, pre media, like this pre everything. There's just no way for you to know where networking events are happening. If you want to know where networking events are happening, you literally have to know somebody to know somebody. Right. And there was this like secret, word document going around with like all these events. Like it was like really, like I don't know why it was so secret, but I got a hold of it and then I got a hold of other events and I was literally just compiling this word document of all these different networking events. And people were asking me for it, so I kept sending it out, sending it out. And then I'm like, "This is this is really silly. I'm married to a software engineer. Like, I'm just going to ask him to build me a calendar." So he ends up building this entire platform, which we today know as NetworkingPhoenix.com. He happens to be a brilliant software engineer, and we launched it on January 1st, 2008. And it was anyone listening, and I don't know if you recall, but what happened in the you know. Economy on January 1st, 2008, but it completely crashed. So it was kind of like the perfect storm for me. I was in the right place at the right time while everybody else's business was failing. Mine like skyrocketed. I could not even keep up with it because um, it gave people a place to go to find networking events so they can at least get out of their house and meet other individuals. It gave people hope. I mean, all of a sudden it was like, I was like thrown, literally thrown overnight into the spotlight. I'm 27 at the time, right? I was 27. And I, I consider myself to be a very mature per, you know, person. And um, even at 27, and 18, I almost feel like the older I get, like the less mature I get or something, you know, I don't know. I have this opposite effect, like Benjamin buttons, but I was extremely mature when I was younger and so I was able to connect. Well, I mean, that's the, that's why I'm so good at networking is I can connect with people. But I remember connecting with people that were, you know, three times my age and they were on the other phone crying. They were like, I, I don't know what to do. Like I've, I'm laid off. I've never even had to write a resume. I've had the same job my entire life. And they're like, where do I go? Who do I talk to? I'm just like, I don't even know what to say, you know, cause I'm like, I'm like, okay, but I, f- I figured it out, you know, try to help them. I, again, at least, if nothing else, hope. So um, that's how Networking Phoenix came about. And um, I mean, you know, we could talk for days about, you know, what happened next. But in essence, um, as of today, it's an online community for local professionals that are looking to network. And here in Phoenix, it's the largest network of people in one area, right? So we have over 41,000 profiles that have been created. Um, I just Yesterday, the business, Phoenix Business Journal's ranking came out we are number two, right behind ASU Alumni Association. I used to be number one until the ASU Alumni Association started listing the (laughs) ASU Alumni Association. (laughs) But my Facebook post said, all right. um, I was like, okay, all right, ASU, thanks for giving me a number to hit. I'm like, I can surpass that, you know, with the right social media tools. So, but that's where we are today, right? So we cater to entrepreneurs, professionals, business owners, really anybody that needs to that needs and wants to get out and network and meet people and connect with them that way. And like I said, it's a, it's a very unique platform. We've got a calendar that lists all the different local networking events in town on the platform. There's between three to 500 monthly, just depending on how active it is. Uh, towards the end of last year of 2017, I got funded and we are as we speak, it's being redesigned and rebuilt because it, like I said, it was, uh, 2008 is when we launched it. So it's so outdated at this point. Um, so I am so, so excited to have a new shiny platform, uh, in the next, sh- we should have it, but end of the year, I mean, in the next few months, but you know, I never want to, you never want to predict these things because they don't quite always go as planned. So.
0: So that's the first major facelift since you launched. Yes. Wow. That'll be so exciting. Yes. Thank you. So yeah, we've had my, we've
1: had minor, I mean, we've had facelifts, but nothing like this. Not, nothing with me now having 10 years of experience, an entire team and resources, right? Because even when we tinkered with it back then, we were still guessing. We had no idea what we had created. It was just me and my then husband. So yeah, this is it. This is, this is huge. This is like, this is what I've been waiting for, for the last... You know, ten
0: years. So exciting! And I'd love to talk a little bit about your. You've mentioned your then husband. Yes. Um, so your husband. You were together when Networking Phoenix started, and he worked with you on the project. Correct. Yes. Uh-huh. And then, how did that all pan out? Because you're not together now. So if you could touch on, I'd love to hear about number one how you guys worked together. Because as somebody who periodically works with her husband, I know that can be challenging from time to mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And then how the separation went. I mean, I feel like divorce by itself has to be just draining, but add on to that, the fact that you are both in this business and how that separation looked.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, um, well, I mean, where do you want me to start? Do you want me to start at the beginning when it was amazing? Should we talk about that and then take it or should we talk about how awful it was? Yeah. Start? No, let,
0: let's start with amazing. We'll go in. We'll,
1: we'll go in order. All right. So... You know, in all honesty, you know, me, me and my ex, we, I mean, we really, we were such an amazing team, um, like hands down, like just amazing team, you know, when it came to, uh, working and, and whatnot, our skills were complimentary. We're both just brilliant with, in our own respect with what we do. Um, not to call myself brilliant, but it, <laughs> I got, you know, it, I was good at what I do. You know, he's, he was good at what he does and it, we just came together and it was like such a natural, um, natural progression of things. We had um different like like the house that we lived in this house when we launched it he had um, we had different rooms, so he had his office i had my office, and we would literally like spend i don't even know i feel, i'm gonna i almost feel like i want to say there were d- days turns into nights and we wouldn't walk out of each one of our respective offices i don't know to like two or three in the morning <laughs> and then just like fall into bed from ex- exhaustion but He was working what he was working on. I was working on what I was working on. And it was like, we were together, but not really, you know, because we were in separate offices doing different things. And it was, it was good until it wasn't good, you know, working with your spouse. And I don't, you know, I don't really know. um, I don't know what advice I would give people. I feel like I'm actually so far away from it at this point, but I definitely had opinions on it. You know, Um, you know, I see some couples and they work together and they're just so, I mean, they just mesh so well. So I'm almost going to say a lot of this is like personality-based and couple-based, you know, and the reason me and my ex are not together anymore, I mean, I don't think it had much to do with us working together. I think it had everything to do with our ability to um, maybe uh, problem solve or prioritize, right? Again, so these are like different type of things, you know? it, would I ever do it again? Would I ever like, that's the question I asked myself was, would I ever be with somebody again that I needed to work or need not needed to, but work with? And initially, you know, after, after the divorce, I was like, no way, never again. Like that's never going to happen. But the thing is, is like, if you don't understand what I do for a living, if you don't understand what I do and what I do, I mean, that's like, Mike like this is my life. My company is my life. Like I'm one of those people where, you know, nothing is separate. I mean, networking Phoenix is synonymous with Gelly. You know, and the thing is networking Phoenix could doesn't have to be synonymous with Gelly. And at some point it won't be when we scale, but today it still is. So if you don't understand what I do and how I do it, um, I don't know, do do you really get me? And I don't I mean, I have no idea. I haven't experienced it yet. I had another friend that I was um, you know, just, just kinda working with and and Helping out in the you know like like in his company and there definitely is a special like special like kind of chemistry and or energy that that I thrive off of um, like the intellect like the intellectual part of like I think anybody that I connect with is kind of what like I'm like ooh, I like this like like there's energy there's like buzz you know so it, like I don't know what kind of situation I'm going to get myself into because again it's like I, I really enjoy having that mental connection of. You got to understand what my business is, because if you don't get it, we're not. I don't think we're going to connect. But do I want to like work with somebody in that capacity? I I don't know. I don't have the answer. Now, as far as like you know, you were asking me how the divorce was. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just a personal divorce. It was also a business divorce. I mean, it is a big thing to lose your technical co-founder. That is no joke. Like, you know, it's much easier to find a husband than a technical co-founder, and it's a joke, but not really you know, and now that I'm looking for, you know, either at the moment, but, you know, by the time that him and I divorced, you know, separated and divorced, it was all very, very logistic. So, and, you know, and it was amicable initially. So the conversation was that he wanted to be a part of the company. He wanted to stay in. He's like, this is my baby too. And I'm like, yeah, great. I'm not pushing out or asking you to leave. Like there was no reason you know, But then, you know, life takes its course and, and things change. And so the blog picks up at the moment when he tells me he's leaving the company, because that's when my world started to spin out. Not the divorce, not that I'm going to be a single parent, not that I'm... By the way, I met this guy at 17, when I was 17. So this is the first time I was going to be single, you know, for the first time in my adult life, right? And now I have a child, I'm starting over, I'm an entrepreneur, so I have, you know, there's a lot of things I was depending on him for yeah, health insurance. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> um, I, I was like, I don't even know how much I cost a month. Like literally like, what, like what, what, what do I pay for? Like my, you know, car insurance, health insurance. I just don't know. I mean, these are all like, I you know, as in many marriages, you know, different partners take on different roles and within our marriage, he took care of the finances. Right. I mean, that's not very typical. And I was perfectly okay with that. I had no reason not to, you know, trust them. I had no reason to, you know, to question it. Um, I should have been more involved, but I wasn't. So basically, when it came time for the split, I was completely clueless. I mean, completely. Uh, and I'm not a clueless person, but I was clueless in that department just because you know, I was busy building my company. I didn't, you know, care to learn about the finances of our situation or whatever. So it was very, it was, it was devastating, you know? And then, yeah. So then the divorce itself, of course, sucked. I mean, divorce, divorces are horrible. I mean, and everyone tells you that. And, you know, it's like, you know, I wanted to believe that we were going to be different and we weren't, we were one of those horrible statistics, you know, we turned out to be that and it is what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't really know. It just, you know, life just unfolds. But at the end of the day, um, I bought him out. Uh, the company's mine. I got it funded. I have a new business partner. I'm getting it rebuilt and it's now going to be rebuilt with exactly how I've always wanted it, um, with my 10 years of knowledge and experience and with me being healthy. Right. Because going through all of that and you can imagine leading up to the divorce, you know, it's not like it's rosy and peachy for all that time. And one day you want to leave. Right. So there was a lot of drama to deal with. Um, you know, and, and again, this is, you know, I know you, you focus on family. So five years into the the business, I had a baby. She was planned. Um, so she was born. And again, so you've got me as an entrepreneur. Right. And I'm just like type A personality. He's he had a full time job and he was, you know, building, you know, working on the company on the side. We have the baby, she comes out screaming and she doesn't stop for, I don't know, like seven weeks, she was colicky. It was unbelievable. Um, I'm pretty sure I had adrenal fatigue back then even and I just didn't know it or realize it. I couldn't really move, I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, it it was just horrible from every single angle you could possibly look at. The only thing that wasn't horrible is that the company was running and I actually had a full-time employee at the time and I needed five months off she took care of everything, not even a problem. So that was amazing. So the company was really the only stable thing in my life <laughs> at that point. But yeah, you know, so here I am, um, you know, single entrepreneur mama, you know, uh, with my, my baby, she's now five years old. She's no longer a baby. Yeah. You know, life goes on and there's a new norm. And I will say I've never been happier, you know, and, and I blog very publicly about my, you know, the documenting my life pivot and, you know, people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I hope you're okay. And and, and here's the thing, like, I'm, I'm a lot more than okay, just because I shared my truth. Like I am okay. You know, I think, I think the people we should worry about are the people that don't share, you know, like we've seen in the media the last few days, you know, or whatever the case is. I mean, I don't, there's, you know, we have, we all have, uh, you know, depressive phases in life. And um, I think as an entrepreneur, you have a lot of pressure on you. And um, it, it, for me, it was very public. So I knew that every, if I made the wrong step, people would see it. If I fail, people would see it. And um, I, was very, I was a lot more afraid of that when I was younger. Again, launched as at 27, still a lot of self-development that needed to happen. At this point, I flaunt the things that go wrong. I flaunt them because I want everybody to know that things are going to go wrong. They absolutely are. And like the best part is when you get to figure it out and pick up the pieces and move forward. That is the best part of everything.
0: Can you tell us a little bit? I loved reading. You had a couple blog posts that talked about how you responded to the grief, you know, by addressing it and pivoting. Can you talk a little bit about about that?
1: Yeah, so... um, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing, first and foremost is, you know, for any kind of grief or any kind of loss, I think it is so important to give yourself that time to mellow in it, but just mellow. Yeah. Just sit with it. And it sucks and it's horrible and it's lonely and it's just like, bleh, good. Sit with it. I like to let myself sit with those emotions until I'm literally sick of my own emotions. <laughs> and then it's time to get up off the ground and get moving because before I'm ready to get moving, I don't even want to force myself. Like if I don't want to get out of bed that day, I don't get out of bed that day. You know, I'm not that person that's like, I don't feel well. Maybe I'll go for a workout that will make me feel better. I mean, I'll think about it, but I'm not going to do it because <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> so, um, you know, we all, we all work differently, you know? So Working out doesn't make me feel a lot better, by the way. This still doesn't mean I'm going to get myself to the gym. So I um I spend a lot of time on the floor listening to music. That's like that's my favorite activity. I can spend hours and hours and days doing that. I, I don't know. People think I'm crazy. Like talking to a friend the other day, and he's like, "Don't you get bored sitting at home?" Like, absolutely not. I've got my Pandora. Stations, I've got the floor and I've got my mind, which I get lost in, you know, and I just think and create and just go places. So I did that. Um, I took a good, I don't know, I tried to take maybe just two months off and that turned into three, four, five, six. I took a, a good amount of time off to heal. I got into energy healing, which is, um, you know, I don't know if people are familiar. Um, it's, it was one of those things where if you know what you know, and maybe you've heard of it, but, um, you work with, with different energy healers and they have different modalities and they're literally calling on, you know, God, universe, spirit, I mean, whatever language you want to put to it. And, um, you're working through stuff, you know, I mean, and there's like the thing, I mean, we all have so much to work through, you know, and we all have childhood trauma. Everyone has childhood trauma, you know, on some level. So it literally starts there. So I remember the first time I came in, to one, um, and I had no idea. I'm thinking, oh, we're going to deal with the divorce and you know the cheating ex boyfriend, whatever you know. And uh, oh yeah, no, none of that. It, we went straight to childhood because <laughs> that trauma was actually deeper, believe it or not, <laughs> than the stuff I've been vlogging about. You know, and I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize it was there. I mean, honestly, like I'm like I thought it was God, like pushed it away. Oh no, oh it's still there. So I had to work through that before I could even get to the next phase, the next phase, you know? And, but the thing is I stuck with it and um, I've uh, consistently worked with different energy healers uh, to get to different levels. Um, and, And again, everyone has something else, something different that works for them. You know, there's people that get into like Wim Hof and take ice baths and that works for them. Amazing. I recommend everyone should do that. I tried it once. It was one of the most euphoric experiences I've ever had. You know, if it was more readily available to me, maybe I'd keep doing it. But in Arizona, it's much easier to find uh, energy healers than ice baths.
0: <laughs> so- I yeah, that doesn't even, I hate being cold. That doesn't even sound a little bit good to me.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. But again, every, that's what I'm saying is everyone's personality, every, everyone has a different way of moving through their own crap. And that's what's important is to actually put a pause on life and work through it so that you don't ever have to come back to it again.
0: It's self-care. It's, it's making time for yourself. And it's the concept of, if you handle it now, you squash it. So it's not going to keep coming up to bug you. Right.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, think about it. Like this is why like people, you know, get keep getting into abusive relationships. Why? You know, it's like, wait, like, it's like you left one for the other. It's like the same type of, like, why do people do that? But it's like, it's a recurring pattern because it's something within us that either attracts it. It, That's what you're comfortable with. Remember when, like you said that earlier, you're like, you know, like you said, Gelly, you didn't go to back what you're comfortable with. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm comfortable with. Like, I don't, I feel like I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, like I'm too comfortable being uncomfortable. So I'm always just uncomfortable. And that to me is the norm. You know, I don't know, God forbid, I actually had something like Stable and steady, like 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 a job with benefits. I don't know. I I don't know what to do with myself. You know, that actually sounds pretty freaking horrible to me. If you ask me that, I, you know, I really like the. I, I need the. I need the highs. Like I need the 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 highs, the wins. That you know. Again, we all have different personalities. So, um. So yeah. So I. I you know. I, I just think you know the what I went through. Um, it, it's so. It's just very important. And again, I'm not a medical professional, but I think a lot of people will agree. It's just important that you take time to deal with your crap because we all have baggage. We all have stuff we need to get through. Like it is not like no one is immune from that. And if someone thinks they are, then they're definitely in denial. And that is the first thing they need to get out of their head.
0: (laughs) Now... You mentioned your daughter and how old was she? So she's five now. So Mm -hmm. she was probably three, three when when you were divorced. Yes. What did entrepreneurship? How did that look to you? Was it harder to be an entrepreneur as a single mom? Or was it easier? Because you were sharing custody?
1: Yeah, it was easier for me. Um, it became easier because when we were living together, I was, we, we did have some help and she was in daycare, but I was basically, you know, her full time caretaker. And um, even if she wasn't with me, my energy was always with her. And it's hard for me to actually concentrate or, you know, do work stuff when she's around or, you know, I can hear her or whatever the case is. So we have 50 50. And so the fact that she wasn't with me half, The time, it was like, gosh, the first time that she wasn't with me for five days in a row, I seriously felt like I just won the lottery and went in like the best vacation of my life. Like, I don't even know how to say, like, I mean, and I don't feel like a horrible mother saying that, by the way. I think I'm an awesome mom. Like, her and I have like an amazing connection. We spend like a lot of, you know what I mean? Like, like, everything with Eris and I, like, it's great. But still, you know, like, when you, you know this, I mean, you have four kids. Yep. Right. You have four kids. I mean, you know, so it's like you, you go from being your own human to now just taking care of other humans, especially when they're that young and they're, they depend on you for everything. It, it's a big mental shift. And did I enjoy it? Yes. But it didn't make me a little crazy. Yes, it, it did. You know, and I don't, I'm from a different culture too. Like, I don't know. I don't think I have this American mom guild thing. It's like, no, like it takes, you know, I mean, there is such a cliche saying it takes a village to raise a child, but it's true. So stop trying to do it on your own. (laughs) It's it's unnatural to try to raise a child on your own. So it felt, it was great. The fact that, you know, I know, um, you know, he's a great dad. I know she can go over there and I don't even have to worry about it. So.
0: Well, I guess that's the silver lining, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So we've talked a lot about networking for obvious reasons. Um, can you share some tips for networking? I feel like right now there's a lot of emphasis that's placed on social media and I'm not sure how many people are actually getting out and, you know, brushing shoulders with the other people in their communities. So if you could share some insight on actually networking in real life, that would be great.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so most people, um, think of networking as just attending uh, maybe chamber events exchanging business cards you know free food like I don't, like, I don't know but like it's just a really big misconception. I think most people don't understand what networking is and it's so simple networking is making friends It's making friends So like, you got to go out and you got to have conversations you have to be real. You know, because if you're having fake conversations, then obviously you're not attracting the right type of person. You have to talk about things that matter. You know, you have to talk about like when I put that blog. I'm just giving you an example, but when I launched that blog and I started writing, and I don't know who was reading it because I was just putting it online. Like one of those posts went viral, and one day it had like 4,700 hits. It was nuts. But strangers would come up to me, and um, or maybe not strangers, but people acquainted, like people that I would know of but didn't know, would come up to me and. Say, Kelly, I read your blog, and you know what? I had the same experience, and they would tell me their story, and it was so genuine. Like I, I was, sh- I mean, I teach people this, but I was still shocked at how incredible it was. And so, I ended up making a whole new realm of friends because these were men and women coming up to me and sharing their stories with me after reading my stories because I took the time to share you know, now I understand I happen to be an open personality. So I'm not saying everyone has to talk about their drama. I mean, if that's uncomfortable for people, that's completely understandable, but scale it down to a level that's still real. You know, what are you comfortable talking about? Because it's always you and first it's your personality first and it's business second. No one is going to do business with you if they don't know you like you or trust you. Okay. So that is honestly the biggest tip I can tell you is that networking, you're making friends. And once you've made a friend, you've made a friend. Like that person doesn't go away if you lose their business card. Their person doesn't disappear because you they don't have a Facebook account and now you don't know how to connect to them, you know? So, and nothing will ever replace a handshake and a smile. I mean, I think social media is great. You know, obviously I'm, I, I mean, I'm like on everything, you know, but it's almost, social media is almost the way to stay in touch with people. That's not necessarily the way that's not how I lead with things. I, I, I like to meet people face-to-face. But again, having said that, then sometimes I do meet people online and I'm like, oh, this person looks really interesting. But then we take it offline if I want to get to know them. So still very important to have that face-to-face contact.
0: Now, I don't think this is you. I don't think you deal with social anxiety or anything like that. But do you have any tips for the person who's a little shy to walk into one of those events, You know, maybe doesn't have a buddy to go with, so she's walking in alone and just yeah. walking up to a complete stranger and starting a conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, shots before you go in. Oh, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> kidding. <me. laughs> no. The way. So uh, actually, I have some great tips. So number one, if you do have, uh, if you're a little bit shy, you want to get there early. Get there before the event starts. And there's a few reasons for that. One, because um, when you're in a space um, and you can physically see it before the room fills up, it 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 just automatically puts you at ease right? It just does. Two, you can meet the organizers and you can, you can say, hi, you know, I, I'm new. I'm, I'm a little shy. I don't know anybody. I just wanted to come a little bit early and check it out, you know? Um, but you know, so if anybody comes in that you think I should talk to, just make, you know, feel free to send them my way. Oh, I sit at the bar or whatever, or I buy the food. I mean, whatever the situation is, but I think it's always good to meet the organizers. Do not for the life of you annoy the organizer, I don't know why everybody wants to do this to me. Like, I, and I'm so sorry. I just felt like, but like people do this to me. Like I am at my own event and I am clearly trying to get organized and people show up. Kelly, I have questions for you. And I'm like, if there was a poop list, you'd be number one on it. Right. I mean, it is so obvious. I'm scrambling. Why are they like, just like, it's, it's horrible. Please do not do that to anyone but you may introduce yourself, say hello and walk away. (laughs) I will love you, love you if you do that. So, But that is a tip for me. And then the other thing that happens, so there's three things when uh, when you arrive early. The third thing that's going to happen is that as other people are coming in, um, they're going to gravitate towards you. So now you're not the one having to break into conversations. The worst time you can arrive at an event is in the beginning. I'm sorry, is in the middle, in the middle, because when you arrive in the middle, everyone's already in conversation, right? Everyone's in a cluster. Now you have to break in the clusters. I mean, it's a lot more awkward. It's almost better to arrive at the end because when you arrive at the end, the people that are sticking around are the ones that are, they don't want to leave. They want to keep talking. So they'll, they're more open that they're going to pull you in. So, um, if you you know, again, I mean, just, just keep in mind if you can get there early great. If you can't, just know that you're, and you're going to get there in the middle, just know that you're walking into an anxi- anxiety ridden situation, but take a deep breath, you know, and just, just go in and uh, look for the person that isn't talking to anyone and start there.
0: Those, those are really great tips. Like those are things that I hadn't even considered or heard of. So I really appreciate you sharing them with me. I feel like I've gotten over some of my anxiety, but I totally hear what you're saying about like the middle of the event. Because, or even if the person you're speaking to, if you part ways for whatever reason, then suddenly you're looking around at all these clusters thinking, which cluster do I? Right. Do I interrupt myself? Yeah. And
1: believe me, there's been times where I've done that and I've tried to break into a cluster and they're just blatantly shutting me out. They do. And I'm like, well, that's like awkward. It's embarrassing. I'm like, I don't like you either. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. But I mean, I, but I've experienced that myself. So it's going to happen. It's fine. Just move on to the next cluster. Maybe they'll be nicer. <laughs> I don't know. Kids wear a shirt that says, can, you know, can I join your cluster? You can join my cluster. You know, like they have those shirts. You can sit with us at lunch, you know, or something. Right. Or you can squat with us. I don't know, whatever. But yeah, I should I should come up with that and
0: trademark it. You should. Have shirts. <laughs> yeah, why not? diversify your income just a little more. (laughs) Well, I feel like this conversation is very limited by time. And we're we were only really able to scratch the surface of all of your experiences and the impact that that you've had on the Phoenix networking circuit. But I'd love for you to share where our listeners can learn more about you and connect with you. Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And I told you, I could talk for days, remember? Sorry, I'm a bit of a talker, but <laughs> they can find me, the easiest way would be gelly.com. That's my website. So it's G-E-L-I-E.com and they can literally just contact me through there. You know, if they're interested in reading that gory blog that we've mentioned a few times, it's followgelly.com. And then, of course, the networking platform, which is my my baby, my life, my everything is networkingphoenix.com with Phoenix being all the way spelled out.
0: And I'm going to link to all of those things in the show notes so that people can easily just hop over to the website and find them. So I just feel like it's it can be so easy to look at the success in others. And I, I feel like I see that in you. Um, you've okay. gotten a ton of awards and you're, you're very well known in Phoenix. And it's easy to see that and not recognize the struggle and the overwhelm that happens behind the scenes. So I love how raw and real your blog is and your stories and your advice. It's all very relatable and inspiring. So I just want to thank you for sharing it with me and joining us on the podcast to share it with all my listeners.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, thank you for being being on the other side that actually takes the time to to read it and if it makes an impact that's great. I mean, cuz that's why, you know, I love sharing. Like you said, I don't I don't like just the shiny. If there's going to be the shiny, I want people to see the unshiny too. So
0: so thank you for having me. I love it. Oh, no, it's been great. Thank you. Gosh, that was just amazing. When I met Gelly a couple of weeks ago at an in-person networking event, of course, I instantly knew that I wanted her on this podcast to share a little bit of her story. And I love how she brings so much raw truth to her story and, and to her audiences. You'll find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode at MegBrenson.com slash 34. Last week, if you missed it, you will have to go back and give it a listen. Last week, I interviewed a personal mentor of mine, Pat Flynn. He shared some amazing insight surrounding raising our kids with an entrepreneurial mindset. He's a father, husband, and entrepreneur who lives and works in San Diego. He owns several successful online businesses and is a professional blogger, keynote speaker, Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and hosts the Smart Passive Income and Ask Pat podcasts. He's an advisor for Leadpages, ConvertKit, and other companies in the digital marketing arena. His podcasts were the first that I fell in love with, and he's been a mentor of mine through the launch of Familypreneur. So make sure that you go back and listen to that episode at least once. Next week, I'll welcome John Lanza. He's the chief mammal of The Money Mammals and author of the new book for parents called The Art of Allowance, A Short Practical Guide to Raising Money Smart money-empowered kids. John's money mammals teach kids to share and save and spend smart and have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the LA Times. I'm really looking forward to sharing some of his tips with you on how to raise our kids money smart and his opinions and outlooks on how to use allowance as a part of that process. Have a great week and I will see you next week. Bye! Don't miss my mom's next episode. Subscribe to the Familypreneur podcast and automatically get access to the newest episodes every week.